All right. Good afternoon, everybody. Welcome to day one of reInvent. Uh, I'm glad so many of you could make it in and, and uh, take time out of your day today. Uh, I am Scott Ward, uh, Solutions Architect uh, with Amazon Web Services on, on the partner team. Uh, I'm joined by Pat McDowell today, who's also a Solutions Architect on the partner team. We both work uh, primarily with security partners uh, who are building and, and implementing security solutions on top of AWS for our customers to consume. Uh, and today we are going to be talking about some IAM best practices. Uh, we, we call becoming an IAM ninja, which maybe means going a little bit beyond some of the things that we uh, normally would talk about in IAM. So, so Pat, you and I have been around AWS for a while. We've seen lots of IAM presentations and given lots of IAM presentations. What are some of the things that you have kind of heard or, or, or feel that people want to know more about IAM than maybe what we've talked about in the past? Yeah, so it usually comes down to um, how can we make it easier? Um, we've both given presentations I am before, and we've always gone down the path to sh show a bunch of raw JSONs. We really wanted to get rid of showing you guys JSON in our presentation today and show you uh, a couple tips and tricks that can help maybe making uh, managing identity across AWS Cloud easier. So uh, we're going to go a little bit, color outside the lines a little bit, and use some auxiliary services and uh, design patterns to help you know, become that 300 level IAM ninja. Um, and that's really what I want to show you. So we're going to talk about some of our new uh, automated ways of deploying and managing, as well as uh, what some of uh, our AI services can help you with identity and managing IAM users across your enterprise. Okay. Hmm. So does that mean that we have a new title slide? I think it does, Scott. Really? Yeah. yeah. Okay. All right. Cool. <laughs> so this is actually a little bit more reflective of maybe some of the things that we're going to talk about today to, to help you on. Uh, with IAM. So mm. with that, why don't we go ahead and get started. Um, I'm going to start us off here, and then we'll bring Pat up here in a little bit to, to cover some of the other topics. Um, start off with, we're going to talk about cross-account roles. Uh, that's pretty maybe unsexy, uh, standing on its own. Um, but super important best practice when it comes to uh, talking uh, across multiple AWS accounts, whether they be your own accounts or, or uh, as a partner, uh, accounts of your customers. Um, quick poll, who here today is, is maybe operating a SaaS that requires them to have access in, into customer accounts. Okay, fair, good amount. Now, okay, and who's who, who's maybe using a SaaS uh, that is having access into their into their account? Cool. All right. So for the next bit of time, I'm going to take uh, a little bit of a, a journey with you and talk about cross account roles and see if there's uh, some ways that we can maybe uh, improve uh, the way that we use cross account roles and maybe even make it easier for uh, partners and customers to, to adopt uh, using these and enforcing that as a best practice. So for this journey, we are going to be uh, using a customer. Um, this customer is somebody who wants to use a partner solution to interact with their AWS account. They might want to use it to monitor the account or to uh, do some orchestration in their account or something. But bottom line is this partner solution needs access to the customer's account to, to call some customer APIs. So for this, the customer is going to be asking a common question of our partner. And that question is, is I would, or the statement is, I would like to use your service to monitor my account. And we're going to go through some different scenarios that, that apply to that statement. So scenario one, customer asks the question and the partner says, sure, just send me your access keys. Maybe not the thing we want to hear from a partner. I see a lot of smiles in here, so everybody understands that maybe that's not the best, best thing. So, you know, it's interesting. It, it works, uh, but it's maybe not the approach we want to take. But, but to level set, let's talk about access keys real quick so that we can move on and get away from them. So what's going to happen here is that the customer is going to create a, a policy. They're going to create an IAM user 
They're going to attach that policy to that IAM user. They're going to generate some access keys, and they're going to hand those access keys over to the partner. At that point, the partner will have the ability to be able to call APIs in the customer's account, because they have access keys that give them the uh, ability to call those APIs. So once again, I mentioned this works, but it's not the approach that we want to ultimately recommend, especially across multiple AWS accounts. There's some challenges here. One, these access keys are, are long-lived keys, so there is uh, some extra responsibility on the partner to have to protect those access keys. Uh, the customer also has to provide uh, more visibility or, or take extra steps around monitoring the use of those access keys. Uh, the customer doesn't get as much visibility into who's making those uh, API calls in CloudTrail. Uh, and if those access keys were ever to be compromised, uh, they can be used anywhere. It doesn't have to be the account uh, uh, that you're running in or, or in the partner's account. They can be used anywhere. So uh, a lot of challenges uh, that go with this that uh, maybe you don't want to be able to, you don't want to have when you're talking about cross-account access. So we're calling that one a big no. We don't want to do that, uh, if at all possible, when we're talking about cross-account access. Scenario two. Customer asks the same question, and this time we get a different response from the partner. It's a little bit longer. Sure, just follow this guide to create a cross-account role, create a policy, and then create a role with our account number and this unique external ID, and then give us the air run of your role. That is a lot of steps. But it sounds promising. We're actually creating a cross-account role this time. Nobody's asked me to actually hand them any access keys. What's that actually look like? So what's going to happen here first is that I'm gonna, the partner's going to hand me a policy, an account number, and an external ID. I often find that this is uh, you know, through some sort of a setup document or, or some, of a, some sort of an onboarding wizard. The policy is going to be an IAM policy that I need to create that, that gives the, the solution the, the appropriate level of access. The account number is the account number of the partner solution that wants access to my account. And the external ID. Uh, who here is familiar with an external ID, what it does and what it means? Okay, so it's a level set for that one. An external ID is uh, another uh, component that you can use to provide extra security around people who want to assume roles in your AWS account. So a role ARN on its own is not a secret. It is a, it is a guessable value. Uh, an external ID is something that somebody who wants to assume a role in your account has to pass in, in addition to passing in the role number. And what that does is it helps to avoid what we call the confused deputy problem, where if somebody were to guess uh, the ARN of your role, they could actually put it into a partner portal as their ARN for their role. And if they're not using an external ID, they could actually start retrieving and seeing information uh, from your account uh, in their portal. So we want to make sure that we're getting an external ID back as well, allowing third parties access into our system. So we've got all that information. I've gone through. I've, I've done a bunch of setup. Uh, I've often seen it where it's a bunch of copy and paste to get various things set up. And then at the end of the day, I've got a role set up, and I, I copy the ARN of that role. And I give it back to the partner, often pasting that back into a portal. So at that point, our partner has the ability to make API calls in our account. They can call the assume role API, passing in the role uh, of, that I just gave them, as well as the external ID that they gave me to add to the role. And they have temporary access keys given to them. So this is good. This is the way we want it to be. This is a pretty solid uh, thing. However, there's a lot of steps here. Uh, and when we talk to our customers and our partners and, and we see them where they're not using this or they're supporting both approaches, we, we ask them what's going on and why are you doing this or, or, or what are some of your, your concerns. And what we often get back is that you know, my customers, they don't like the number of steps required to set up a cross-account role. 
uh, or they don't understand why they're doing these steps. Not all customers are, are at a very sophisticated technical level. They, they just want to use the solution uh, to help them get some extra benefits against their account. So uh, we want to make sure that we can maybe take this a little bit further and remove some of that confusion, but still ensure that we are having the right security profile uh, across our accounts. So let's go to scenario number three. Same question from our customer, but this time the response from our partner is, sure, just tell us your account number and we'll get you set up. Everybody can find their AWS account number. That's pretty easy for you to find. Everybody knows where that is. Um, that's pretty cool. Seems nice and easy, but, but how does that actually work? Well, let's take a look at what that workflow would actually look like. There's a lot of steps in this workflow, but there is very little work that a customer would actually have to do in this case. So in this scenario, the customer goes to the partner website. They provide their account number, just like that partner asked. They're going to have a, a little button or, or a link or something that the partner would create that actually allows them to uh, click here to create cross-account access. And what that does is it will actually launch a CloudFormation template in the customer's account, and it will create a stack that will create the role, it will define the policy, it will pass in the values of the account number and the external ID that are needed to create that role, all in the customer's account without them having to do any, any copy and pasting. And then one of the really cool things, this will actually send that role right back to the partner without that customer having to copy and paste that into the partner portal. And finally, the partner will be able to consume that and put that into their storage. So a pretty, pretty cool potential workflow for improving this security profile when it comes to using cross-account roles. Uh, I'm going to take a little bit and dive deeper into what these steps look like so that you can understand what those are. These are, what I'm showing you here uh, is a way for you to build uh, and string together a lot of AWS services to, to make something happen. If you are doing cross-account roles today or asking people to create cross-account roles, you have a lot of the uh, pieces that you need to do this. This is just going to talk about some ways that you can string this all together in a nice, tight, um, reusable type approach. So to start off with, we, that, that partner, the customer coming to the customer, the partner's portal, this is our, our, our demo portal. They're going in and they're putting their account number in and they're creating on a link. In this case, it says generate custom template. And they're going to arrive at another screen. That's going to say, hey, we've just created a custom template for you. Click on this button to launch the stack. And that will actually launch the CloudFormation stack for them with all the appropriate information. If we take a look at it under the hood, how did we get from screen one to screen two? Uh, in this example, what I have is the customer coming to that portal on the left, putting in their account number. And what I've outlined here is a workflow where we are calling a Lambda function that actually generates that external ID, some sort of a, a unique, very hard to guess external ID. And then storing that in whatever data store I'm using as a partner, it's going to have that external ID in there as an attribute. I'm also going to put in their account number. Uh, and later on, I'm also going to put in that role ARN uh, that I'm going to get back from the customer. Uh, in this example, I'm then also going and calling another Lambda function to generate the full URL that's going to enable me to launch that CloudFormation template in the customer's account. And then I'm arriving at that final form on the right that actually allows them to click on a link and launch that CloudFormation template. This workflow I put here as an example, it's one way that I would do it or I would envision it. You may decide that you want to do something a little bit different. Uh, you may have some different methodologies, but in general, I think the, the approach uh, and, and what you're going to arrive at will be relatively uh, the same. So what's going to happen here is a little bit hard to read, but what I'll tell you about here is that this is where the, the, the uh, URL will lead the customer. This is going to take them to the review screen 
of launching a CloudFormation stack. And notice I said the review screen. I didn't say the parameters screen. Uh, often we see is that when somebody provides a CloudFormation link for a, for a customer to launch, it takes them to the parameters screen. They have to go in and, and verify the parameters or, or fill them in, and then click three or four more buttons to actually get to that review screen to launch the CloudFormation stack. We are taking advantage here of some new functionality the CloudFormation team launched a few months ago that actually allows you to define in your URL the screen that you actually want the customer or the user to be taken to as part of the overall CloudFormation process. So what that looks like, here's a breakdown of a sample URL. You can see in that top line of the URL that stacks create review. I'm actually defining that I want the user taken directly to the review screen of CloudFormation. I'm also passing in the, the URL of the template. This is the, uh, the uh, CloudFormation template that I have defined that contains all the information about the policy, the role, uh, and the, uh, the callback mechanism that we're going to talk about in a second. I've given it a stack name. The customer can change that if they want to. And then I've passed, it in two, passed in two parameters, the account number that I want them to trust and that external ID that I generated earlier on. This entire URL will allow the customer to click one button to launch that stack, and it will create all the necessary information needed for that cross-account role. Now, the next step, which I think is one of the cooler things, is getting that information back from the customer. If you remember earlier on, in scenario two, the customer had to copy and paste that and put it in, or they had to locate it, or you, you run the risk that they don't give you all the information, or maybe you don't get the right piece of information. With this, what we're taking advantage of is another CloudFormation feature called custom resources. We've actually defined a custom resource that's an SNS topic. That SNS topic is something that, in this example, is hosted by the partner. And we pass into the message to that SNS topic, the ARN of the role, and we send that message to SNS. We then have a Lambda function subscribed to that SNS topic, which will consume that, pull the ARN out of the message, and put it into our data store so that we have all the information we need to be able to interact with the other account that our customer has given this information about. A couple of things to keep in mind here on the SNS topic. Um, you know, you are receiving it from, from another account. It may be an account that's not yours. Uh, you want to think about some methods about how you protect the messaging coming in here so that somebody doesn't inject something uh, that maybe you don't want to have. So you can either, as people go through the sign-up process, uh, as part of your workflow, update the policy of that SNS topic so that it will only allow communication from those particular accounts. Or you could uh, build your Lambda function so that it's examining the account number that's sending you the message and verify that it's an account number that maybe has an, an open workflow or as somebody who signed up with you so that you're only processing their messages. And anything else that you don't like, you, you sideline for, for later investigation. So that's really, really cool. Um, and what that does is it unlocks some other opportunities for us to maybe start looking at how we might do this at scale or, or even more automation. And what I'd like to kind of show you here where this even unlocks some more benefits is for customers who are taking a multi-account strategy. Uh, I think you'll see that started at reInvent last year, and you'll see a lot more of that this year, is that we are talking more and more about how you can use multiple accounts uh, to solve and meet your business needs. So uh, customers use it for uh, their different environments as far as dev, test, prod, uh, different organization units, or even different applications they might run in, their, in, the, in an AWS account. So in this example, we have a customer is using AWS organizations to create a brand new account. They're calling that create account API. And if you've done that before, you, you call that API. It gives you an ID of the request. And then you take the ID of that request. 
You call another API to find out the actual account number. That's usually like when, about a minute. You find out what's this new account number that I just generated. So in this example, we're taking that new account number. And what I've done here is I've actually envisioned a partner API. That partner API is taking the place of that portal that I had in my uh, workflow earlier on. So now I am using some keys that that partner's given me to call their API, passing in this new account number. And the partner's giving me back their account number that unique external ID, and the location of the template. Those are all the same things that were in that URL earlier that allowed me to launch the CloudFormation template. I'm now able to take that. I'm able to construct my own call to the CloudFormation service, launch that stack. It will send the information back to the partner's SNS topic, and all the information is placed into their data store. So I now have the ability to easily launch brand new accounts and ensure that they are linked up with the appropriate cross-account roles, whether they be with a partner or with an internal solution, immediately so that they are able to follow uh, any requirements that I have as far as monitoring or security, uh, that that account is in the right posture from the moment it's created. So why should you take this approach? You know, we, this is very similar to scenario two, but there's a lot more things underneath it. For one, there's less steps for the customer to understand. They have to give you their account number, and everything else that is done setup-wise is automated. The cool thing here, though, is the customer has the ability to fully automate everything that's happening. You can still go before you launch the CloudFormation template. You can examine the policy that's happening. You can see the SNS topic that's happening. The customer still has the right level of visibility as far as what's happening here. It enables that customer and that partner to be in the right security configuration. Nobody's worrying about protecting access keys. Uh, everybody's living off of uh, short-lived credentials because they're assuming roles. It ensures consistency across all of the partner's customers. There's no having to support access keys and roles. They're, they're um, putting themselves in a position to support one approach. And it enables automation for the setup of many accounts. I, I showed you earlier the, the automation with maybe you, as you create new accounts. But think about uh, a partner solution where maybe you're onboarding a new customer and they've already got a, a bunch of accounts that they want to uh, integrate with your solution. All of this stuff here uh, enables itself for a, a lot of automation for a, a new customer to get quickly set up uh, and integrated with your solution if they're multi-account. Uh, or if you are in a position where you are still collecting access keys and you're going to move to a cross-account uh, approach and you have customers who have lots of accounts, they can also uh, invest in some quick automation to get themselves set up and running uh, with cross-account roles by taking this approach. So I just talked about setting up cross-account roles, which kind of takes the, the humans out of the factor or out of the equation. Uh, but there are cases where you actually might want to create IAM users. You don't want to do assuming roles. So what are some of the reasons why I would create an IAM user? There, there's actually, um, this may not be every single reason, but there's actually uh, some questions or, or, or uh, statements that you can make as far as do I need to create an IAM user or not? One is that you need programmatic access from a resource that's not housed in AWS. Maybe you have some code that's running in your own data center that needs to access S3 or, or DynamoDB, uh, or you have some sort of, uh, you're using some sort of a monitoring solution that looks at both your on-premise and your AWS stuff, and it needs to be able to call AWS APIs. Um, you don't have the ability to use a, an EC2 instance role, so you might be using access keys there. You aren't using an identity provider yet and you, need, you can't federate people into your account, so they need to be a way to sign in. 
So you're, of course you're going to create an IAM user. They need to be able to get into the account to, to do their job. You want to enforce MFA on specific API calls. You, know, you may want to make sure that people are providing uh, that extra level of, of secret uh, when it comes to using AWS, and you need to be able to put that MFA on an actual IAM user. You want to enable longer-lived sessions at the command line level. Maybe you want to use the Git Federated Token uh, API call, which actually requires that you're using access keys tied to an IAM user. Or a break glass solution. Maybe you are using federation. You're, you're doing a very good job of keeping any named IAM users out of your account, but you want to have a fallback scenario so you can actually still get into your AWS account in case something goes wrong, and you don't want that fallback scenario to be get in with the root account. Maybe you have a couple of uh, key named users, but you still got all of their uh, credentials vaulted away, uh, and you only get them in case of emergency. One of the re uh, things that I often see with uh, some of my partners is that they have developers that are building against the AWS APIs, but they're on local development environments, uh, and they're still creating IAM users for them and generating access keys. Uh, and I feel that there are better ways to do that, and I've, we've found a couple of uh, approaches uh, where people have uh, enabled their developers to develop against the AWS APIs on local environments, but not have to use access keys. And I wanted to point those out here. One of the ones we found is from AdRoll. It's a product called Hologram. Uh, and if anybody's familiar with the EC2 metadata service, that 169.254 uh, IP uh, endpoint, that gives you a lot of information around your EC2 instance, but also helps to vend temporary credentials for IAM roles that are tied to an EC2 instance. With Hologram, what happens is that the Hologram service runs inside your AWS account, and it simulates that EC2 metadata service. It will actually go and, and retrieve the roles and vend those back to the local development environment. On the local development environment, they're running a hologram agent that will be that 169.254 endpoint. And if you're using the AWS SDKs already, they're reaching out to that endpoint when you make AWS API calls. So that agent's intercepting those and passing those on to hologram and, and giving you the right credentials. And what this enables is those developers to be able to develop locally. They don't need IAM keys. And when they move their code to AWS, it will still work because it's already been vetted against the uh, metadata service. The other one I find kind of cool is uh, from Rapid7, AWS SAML. These are both open source out on GitHub. Uh, with AWS SAML, it's for uh, SAML identity providers. With this, once again, it's something they're running on their local development environment. They federate against uh, the identity provider. They then receive the uh, SAML assertion back, and AWS SAML then takes that SAML assertion hands it off to AWS to federate the uh, user into the account, gets back temporary credentials, and then sets those temporary credentials in the uh, developer's environment so they can use it and they can run API calls without having to have IAM user keys. Um, and this will automatically rotate those credentials every hour. Uh, and if the identity provider doesn't require you to reauthenticate, it will just keep using the same SAML assertion to go back to AWS and rotate those every hour. So uh, a very cool approach to kind of maybe limit uh, the need to define IAM users or, or have access keys. So, and with that, I am gonna let Pat take over and dive into some of the other areas that we wanted to talk to you about today. All right, 
So the next couple of services or projects I'm going to talk about are maybe things you didn't think about using uh, to help you with IAM manager before. So this summer, we launched a service called Amazon Macy. Uh, and Amazon Macy um, is kind of the Venn diagram intersection of user behavior analytics and DLP, data loss prevention. And Macy's like, core focus is around classifying content in S3. Uh, it can help uh, find PII data and who's accessing that data. But along with that, you get a way to secure and you protect your data. Um, and Macy will actually analyze uh, a subset, I have to iterate, subset of CloudTrail logs and look for uh, behavior that is anomalous or maybe unusual, right? And we'll actually uh, classify that behavior for you. Um, so you kind of think about this as IAM Access Advisor on steroids. So it's another feather in your hat to help uh, maybe prune your users and what you're doing over there. Uh, so Macy is based uh, on unsupervised AI uh, and machine learning techniques. And it will create a baseline of your account of what is normal behavior and what is abnormal behavior. Um, but the great thing about that, since it's unsupervised, you don't have to worry about training it yourself. Um, it, you just literally turn it on. It starts uh, mining CloudTrail. And it can uh, do a lot of advanced things for you, which we'll get into. But I, I want to iterate. It's not just for S3. There's some cool other things that come along with Macy as well. So one of the really tough things in identity is uh, you know, managing privileged users, right? Um, it's always been a pain. Like, it's pretty easy to tell who an admin is and who just has read-only, but there's a lot of gray area in between. Uh, so Macy will automatically uh, monitor your CloudTrail logs and classify users platinum, gold, silver, and bronze. So you can think of your platinum users, maybe someone's doing very high impactful mutating API calls, such as you know, creating other users, uh, turning off CloudTrail, things are inherently risky. Or even since Macy is focused on that data in S3, it's like, hey, you gave this user access to this PII data in S3, you can do that as well. Um, <clears throat> And so if you can actually identify your privileged users more easily, that's a win for identity IAM as a whole. Um, so Macy will look over, you know, um, since besides the automatic grouping, uh, it's going to identify uh, users based upon their peer group too. And what I mean by peer group, if I'm a developer and I typically only deal with services have to do with development activities or uh, deal with code and, and Git and things like that, I'm going to be associated with a peer group. But if I'm, say, a network engineer or a sysadmin and I only deal with certain other types of data, make other API calls, I'm going to be a separate peer group, Macy will actually um, you know, knows when you veer outside your peer group. So if you're a developer and you start accessing HR data or making calls you don't usually make, um, because the historical model is available about what's normal behavior in your account or for that user, Macy will be able to identify that right away and create an alert. Um, one thing to uh, also talk about is if you take that to the extreme, uh, maybe the most serious thing that can happen in AWS account, with the, if you have those long-lived access keys, as Scott was talking about before, is um, you know, a credential exposure. If you, your credentials get exposed somehow, uh, Macy can detect uh, you know, behavior patterns that are typically associated with that. So if you find some credentials, um, uh, you're typically going to find out what type of powers uh, you have with those credentials. What can you actually do? Who are you? Uh, you're going to start describing regions. So Macy can uh, detect those high-risk API activities and classify users as much or even alert uh, because of those. 
So Macy would not be a security cool tool without a cool world map, right? We all know that's very important in any security tool you use. Um, and uh, it has great visualiz visualization to see those, uh, hey, I'm a user, I happen to be in Tokyo and Paris at the same time. Um, it doesn't take AI to understand that's a bad thing. So Macy can do all those, um, you know, those quote unquote simple things or understand the known bads as well. Um, but it can also uh, really focus on the unknown bads. And that's where Macy really shines with the cloud choice, uh, with, with those CloudTrail analysis because you don't necessarily understand, as a human, what's normal behavior for that day, that week, that month. Um, so, or maybe it's like you usually make these API calls, but you don't make it at this hour, or maybe you only make them on Tuesdays and not Monday. Uh, Macy has very high fidelity models to know what is uh, normal behavior for that um, user. So let's say Macy does detect one of those unknown bads or known bads, and how do you want to uh, respond to that? What, what, what choices do you have? Uh, maybe a user is doing something like deleting flow logs. Maybe they turned off CloudTrail. Um, maybe the, uh, they're creating roles in other users. That's not something you typically want your users to make. So what, um, and Macy will automatically uh, rank all those subset, I shouldn't say all, the subset of CloudTrail logs is one to 10. And you can also customize that yourself. And when those uh, high-risk behaviors are detected or alarm set off, Macy will send an alert via CloudWatch events. Uh, if you don't know what CloudWatch events is, think about it as like a push notification for a system bus across AWS. It's basically a JSON blob that gets sent out. And you can send it to things like SNS and, and more importantly, Lambda. So once it gets in Lambda, there's many things that you can do. For instance, you can maybe uh, post in Slack saying, hey, uh, this user log made this API call from Japan and did these odd things at these hours. Or you can say, um, maybe you want to be more draconian because it was a platinum user, as you talked about before, who did some, something they never typically ever do, and now they're accessing HR data. So maybe you want to take some corrective action and prevent that right away. So you can call Lambda and maybe slap a deny all policy on that user, and that kind of kills that user right there in the, in the puts them in timeout for a bit. So because Macy gives you this visibility, it really helps with uh, the concept of least privilege uh, and tuning those policies, which is never a, uh, an easy thing to do. So Macy has this great thing called the Research tab. And when you click on it, it actually shows you the most API calls you make. Uh, like, uh, what's your top 10 API calls? What's your bottom 10 API calls? How often is used? What percentage of things are done like that? So we all start off with a nice, clean, greenfield environment. Um, but you know, as humans, we can only see so many logs. We don't know what's normal. We don't know how many things are doing. We don't see any errors. Um, when I first found a Macy in my account, I found all these thousands of CloudTrail errors, and I had, it turned out, like, I didn't have the right permissions for uh, a service I was using. It was never working correctly for me. Um, I didn't realize this, because there's only so many logs I can read. As soon as I turned on Macy, I saw all these errors. I was able to fix it. Um, but you can see, but if you see an, a high impactful uh, API call being made, um, and it's getting continual errors in um, CloudTrail, maybe that's a sign of abuse. Someone's trying to do something they're not, and they keep knocking the door hoping they can get in. Or maybe it's just a sign of a misconfiguration. Or maybe you're, seeing so, you're not seeing API calls made at all, like very low percentage of your bottom 10. So if I don't need that, uh, that entitlement, why should I even have my users um, you know, use it? So it helps you tune and prune uh, your, your already standing IAM policies. 
And when you use it in conjunction with uh, AWS Access Advisor, as I said, Macy is a subset of CloudTrail actions and not all CloudTrail actions. When you use it with Access Advisor, which has that current snapshot, uh, it really helps you uh, tune those policies uh, and reduce uh, scope privileges of your uh, users. So I just went into great detail about how to fine tune your users, but you're like, hey, that sounds great, but how do I operationalize that? Um, I don't want to make, I have hundreds of accounts, 50 accounts. I don't want to make one small change because I, this API gets called once every six months. That's so much of a burden change management. How can you make that easier for me? I, I want to do that, but it's in practice, it's not really hard. It's quite difficult, rather. So uh, a few months ago, we released AWS CloudFormation stack sets. And what you can think of that, that it's multi-account, multi-region CloudFormation. And you know, many people love AWS because um, you can go global in minutes. And that was like a big uh, you know, uh, moment when you can like, hey, I just deployed in six regions, right? Uh, but how do I do that over time? How do I make that easier? Uh, it's not, when you start putting these IAM controls in, it gets a bit difficult. So as you can see from this photo right here, you can now have one stack and you tell it to uh, deploy across all your regions all your accounts, or just your entire AWS organization. Instead of having one CloudFormation stack per account, having to log in each account and deploy it. And as always, you know, uh, you should really be focused on um, you know, using this for IAM because the, you really always want a consistent authority for IAM and put them in your CI CD process. So get uh, AWS code pipeline, Jenkins, and then deploy to stack sets. But let's dive in this a bit more. Uh, as always, um, identity should always be controlled centrally. Um, and I'm going to advocate that you should have one stack set role for your entire enterprise, so one monolithic document of all your uh, IAM uh, entitlements, so one enterprise entitlement. It's the only time this week where I'll promise I tell you that the word monolith is a good thing. Um, as, as you start making this uh, enterprise entitlement stack, um, you know, uh, the one stack to rule them all, so to say. Just think about it, it's just a bunch of JSON put in your, in your Git repo, and that way that when you need to make a change to these roles that we talked about before, you can have a proper pull request, an audit, and approval process. And when you go through that, it makes it very easy to deploy to n number of accounts, so it's one file, one click, one deploy across your entire AWS environment. Now, where this really comes in handy is the, when you're using the central identity account. Uh, I'll dive into what a central identity account is in a little bit. If you don't know what that is, but it's always been a best practice. Uh, essentially, you have a hub and spoke model of AWS accounts, and there's always one account that you have uh, as your identity account. And, and users only authenticate to that. So if you have those IAM users that Scott talked about before, you only want them in one account, not all your accounts. And then you can create that central uh, trust authority, and then you assume roles into the hub or spoke, uh, rather the spoke accounts. And um, you know, so you log into one account, then you assume a role into another account, and you jump from that central authority account there. However, that was really hard to do in practice because uh, you would then have to, every time you make a change to a, a pol an IAM policy, you have to go update it in all those spoke accounts. So this is where StackSets really uh, helps operationalize a, a very good AWS best practice. So let's see what that looks like. Uh, just to go back over what the, uh, the model is for the um, 
central identity account. As you see here, we have this central identity account. All your admins are there. And I could be an admin maybe in sa the sales account, but not the retail account. But once I authenticate uh, to that central uh, admin account, I then have the ability to uh, get the admin role I, ne I need in the accounts I have privileges for. So let's see uh, how this changes from before. Uh, you have to update things as when you start using AWS uh, stack sets after that. So traditionally, we had one CloudFormation stack per AWS account, right? It was a huge pain. Think about 50 accounts, 100 accounts, uh, accounts or you have to be really good at scripting to deploy all those mechanisms. But let's get rid of those, because now we have AWS stack sets. We have those go away. Stack sets comes to the rescue. Now, again, it's that one click, one deploy, one monolithic enterprise entitlement stack. We can deploy it. It's going to iterate through all my accounts, one, two, three, update all my policies, and then I'm done. Simple as that. Um, it's super powerful. You just select your accounts and regions, and you're good to go. <clears throat> the last but not least uh, tool that to help you with uh, you know, IAM governance and compliance is uh, AWS Config. Um, AWS Config will take snapshots of your identity stack. Um, not only IAM, but there's many other things, but we're going to focus on identity of this. Uh, and it really help becomes your cloud CMDB. Um, so <clears throat> it provides that framework for continuous compliance where, hey, if, um, if I'm an auditor, I come in your environment, and I'm like, hey, Scott, uh, what were your, who? Give, give us a list of uh, all the entitlements this user had on December 4th, 2014. And I'm like, I have no idea what this user did on December 4th, 2014. Well, you can actually take a snapshot each time you make a change, a, a change to a user and get that data. So you literally go back in time, scroll through. This is all Scott's uh, privileges on December 4th or November 29th, 2016. Any day of time, how many changes were made, what resources related to it. And um, that's a really powerful thing if, if you are under audit or you just want to have good, tight compliance controls. Um, so it creates a snapshot upon change. And in most cases, this was data you never had before. Uh, once again, it's another one of those services you just turn on and it's there. Um, so this is, it gives you a central dashboard which says, hey, are you um, compliant or non-compliant? Uh, what are your, my IAM policies to help with this? Um, so you have that central dashboard. Uh, you can see what the governance stance across your identity account is. Um, because you don't want to wait for that notification from Macy that one of your uh, privileged users uh, did something you shouldn't be doing. You want to have clean hygiene all the time and be continually compliant. So behind those snapshots of config is config rules. So if config are the snapshots, uh, config rules lets you, lets you weaponize your compliance program. Um, so these rules can evaluate every time you make a change to an IAM policy or other things you're running or on a set timer. Maybe you want to uh, execute this rule every day. And we have some managed rules to help you uh, with your IAM policies. Um, so these, the managed rules that are built in are already good to go for you. Let's say, hey, is this uh, you know, user a member of a group because you never want to have um, you know, Snowflake users that are not uh, involved in a group and you want your policy to play them. Um, do they have a strong password policy or do they have MFA enabled? Um, however, since config rules are powered by AWS Lambda, again, you have the ability to create uh, really uh, deep customizations. One of my favorite customizations is, hey, um, if you're not using one of the great things that Scott talked about before to 
give end users uh, you know, temporary access keys, and you're actually vending those, uh, those, those static keys, um, it's hard to keep track of those. Like, oh, well, I need one for one laptop here. I need another set here. Um, you, you really don't get that feedback of, hey, what are these keys being used for? So you actually create a custom Lambda policy, or rather config rule that says, if, if a user does not use this access key in 90 days, delete it or disable it. And that could be one of those uh, green or red check boxes that says, hey, I have access keys out there. They're not being used. Um, let's just delete them and have good security hygiene from there. Um, another great thing is, since it's also Lambda, you can use third-party APIs, like maybe from Workday or Okta, and you can evaluate your users um, you know, a lot of users get permissions scroll when they change departments, change teams. No one really removes permissions. But you can have a check that says, hey, this user is actually part of two groups or three groups. Uh, you know, corporate centers, they only have one set of permissions. And you can say, it can you know, every day tell you which users have too many permissions. And they, again, automatically get you back to that compliance state. It can either uh, notify you or actually just remove the privileges it, it already has. So last but not least, uh, we, we, we had a uh, couple things in, in IAM that uh, came out recently and just wanted to throw up a slide so everyone can know um, what, what's new in IAM essentially. So first and foremost, last week we released a, a new IAM console experience where you no longer have to edit raw JSON. There's a wizard to help you build those policies to the users. Um, we have uh, IAM support for auto-scaling groups. Um, so it'll be your auto scaling, uh, and you, but you need to make, um, you know, um, have the, the, the appropriate uh, IAM roles for that. That works too. You can actually have IAM users log into my uh, RDS or MySQL in Aurora now. Uh, service linked roles in CloudTrail. Um, so you can see um, what services are actually interacting with uh, CloudTrail, as well as policy summaries that tell you all the actions that are included with it. Um, so that's all me and Scott have for you today. So we want to thank you. Uh, we're, we're here to take questions. Um, and we just want to show you some techniques you might have thought, never thought you could use with uh, IAM and identity uh, across AWS as a whole. Thank you.